Amen. All right, happy Pentecost Sunday. Let's just start off by dropping some emojis in the chat. That's what we're going to do. So uh, just go over to the chat feature there on the Church Online platform and just drop some Pentecost emojis. Whatever, whatever you're thinking when it comes to Pentecost, you can drop some, some um, celebration ones. You can drop some cake, you know, because it's the, church, the birthday of the church. You can drop some fire, some doves or some, you know, whatever, maybe even happy snowman, the the happy snowflake snowman, because that's cool, and and he looks so happy, like he's just so excited, you know, isn't that what you're thinking with happy snowman? Drop whatever emojis you want. Uh, It's Pentecost Sunday, the ones that make you think of of Pentecost. Pentecost is a big deal. It's like Christmas. It's like like Easter. Um, It's so significant because it's about the birth of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Easter is the season that we tend to think about, you know, with with Jesus being crucified and then raised from the dead, uh, triumphing, if that is such a word, uh, uh, you know, being victorious over over sin and death. Uh, He he pays the price on Easter. Jesus pays the price so that anyone, any background, any baggage, any addiction, any sexuality, any issues, any sins, any mistakes can be forgiven and saved and brought into the family of God. So Jesus dies on Easter making it possible for for anyone to be forgiven of any, everything. Uh, But the thing is that that is not all that was needed. We didn't just need Jesus to pay the price. We also needed that price that Jesus paid to be applied to us, to be, to be uh, given to us. And that's what Pentecost is about. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit moves into people permanently as the seal and the guarantor of our, of our salvation. We're no longer just people. We are people with the Spirit of God permanently in us, new creation beings permanently connected to God, permanently joined into the family of God, which consists of everybody who has the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal day. Easter, the price has been paid for our salvation. Pentecost, the price is, is now applied to those who believe in Jesus those who turn to Jesus and are, and are saved. It, it's an it's a, it's a exciting day. I love talking about it. It's, it's in a powerful time. Um, we, we read about Pentecost Sunday, the first Pentecost Sunday, when it comes to the birth of the church, not the first Pentecost Sunday of all time, when it comes to the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And this is, we're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to them. I'll reference some things. I'll read some things. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 for, for the day here. Uh, because it's about Pentecost. And it says this in, in, in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. Where, where is this? Where is this? Well, we know that it's about 9 in the morning because verse 15 is going to tell us that it's about 9 in the morning. And so they are going to be around the temple because at 9 in the morning, that's the time of this, this sacrifice, the morning sacrifice. You've got people from all around the world here for this, these, these moments, especially the morning and evening sacrifice. So you, you've, got, you've got people converging on the temple. Now, it's also clear in a few verses here that the events of Pentecost don't start in the temple. It seems to start in a house. a local house nearby, but by the time you're seeing the the crowds responding and all that, it seems to have started in a house and moved to the temple. Where where might it be? Well, there's two uh, two most likely locations, and basically it's on which side of the wall did this take place. Um, Here's a picture. This picture is of, it's on the Temple Mount, and so uh, the temple would have been just behind us to the right, 
it would have been just behind us to the right and this this courtyard here that you're looking at was was covered with um, amazing tiles like like uh, marble black and white tile all over Herod the Great did the most magnificent job on, on this uh, on this structure you can see between here and the wall again this place is huge it goes forever behind me but be between here and the wall probably where, where it took place. That's one, one option. Uh, the other option is just on the other side of this wall. It's on the steps leading up to this point. And, and these are the steps. These are the steps that Jesus himself walked up and down uh, several times a year where his disciples were walking. It's, it's, it's these actual steps where they would walk up to the, to the temple in, in Acts chapter uh, 2, but also throughout the Gospels. Um, again, the, these events would have started in a local house, but, but the, most of the setting of the story is either here on these steps or just on the other side of the wall right there. Okay, so that's where, where we're at. Acts chapter 2, it continues to read. We continue to read and it says, Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues or different languages, different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, this is the moment. This is the moment where the Holy of Holies, temple presence of God, moves out of the temple built of stone and into people, into people, into everyone who would ever believe in Jesus. This is one of the most significant moments in, in the history of the world. Now, what do I mean by the Holy of Holies, temple presence of God? What I, what I mean is you go back to uh, uh, Exodus, right? And in the book of Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, you're, you're reading these descriptions of, of the building of the tabernacle and, and how it was built and, and what was in each part of the, the tabernacle. And you see that in, in the most inner part, called the Holy of Holies, they, they placed the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a box made out of acacia wood covered with gold. And, and then on top of it, there was, there was a, a, a flat a platform called the mercy seat and then you had these two cherubim carved over the top with their wings outspread uh, over the the mercy seat and God says that he is going to dwell like a dark cloud there uh, above the ark of the covenant there above the mercy seat that God's presence is going to be dwelling there uniquely. And, and it seems like that actually is the case. Um, although I don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is in the first century. I know it's not with Indiana Jones or where Indiana Jones thought it was, but that, that's okay. We don't, I don't know where it is, but, but there seems to still have been the dark cloud in the Holy of Holies in the first century because the historian, I think it's Josephus, but I can't, I can't remember. Uh, the, the the historians write about how it was there, but before the temple was destroyed, some time in the years leading up to that, uh, the dark cloud went away. Like the Holy of Holies presence of God left the temple some years before it was destroyed. My guess is probably right here when the temple was torn, the temple veil was torn uh, on, on Resurrection Sunday, or right here when, when the Holy of Holies presence of God moves out of the temple and into people. Now, Brian, you keep saying that, that you're, this is the Holy of Holies presence of God that's on the move. Why do you think that? I think that because Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10. 
You can go look at them for yourselves, but when you read Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, they are about what it looks like and sounds like when God's Holy of Holies temple presence is on the move, when it's moving in or when it's moving out. And you see the, the moving around pieces of fire, and you, you see the, the sounds, the loud sounds of the angel wings. And you compare that to Acts chapter 2, and you're like, this is that. In fact, that's the point, because in in at Pentecost, they have a liturgy. Uh, the Jewish people would call it Shavuot or Feast of Weeks, but we call it Pentecost. Uh, they have a, a liturgy every, every Shavuot in the first century and, and before where, where they would do these set readings. And one of the readings before the morning sacrifice, one of the many readings, was Ezekiel chapter 1 to 10. And so you've got, you have in the temple, Ezekiel 1 to 10 being read out loud, and then Acts 2 happening, and the tongues of fire moving around, and the, and the, and the, the loud rushing wind, and you, you just see, it was, in, it was God showing us, this is what's happening here. Very powerful moment. Again, I can't emphasize enough, this is a, one of the greatest moments in history when God's Spirit moves out of a temple built of brick into all who would believe in Jesus, into, into believers. In this moment, you go from one temple to every believer in Jesus being now the temple of God. I, I, I cannot emphasize how massive this is. Moving out of a temple built of stones where now God's temple is you. You who believe in Jesus. You are God's temple. You are God's building. You are God's church. You are the church of the living. You are the church. It's not this building. You are the church. In fact, I want you to truth type. Truth type in the, in the text here. In the, in the um, I don't know. What, I can't remember what it's called. In the, in the, what is it called? What is it called? Somebody cue me. Chat. In the chat. <laughs> Big words like that I struggle with. Type in the chat. Uh, we are God's church. We are God's church. We are God's church. This is so Powerful and significant, and we grasp that before we go on any further today. We are God's church. Now, the timing of this, this God's pouring out of His Spirit on Pentecost, very intentional. It's one of the three days where, a year where God's people were called to gather from all over, from wherever they end up going. Uh, here's a map I want to put on the screen here. This, this map shows you like different places mentioned in Acts chapter 2 of where people are coming from. Basically from all over. I mean, you, I've, I've circled them with red and they were highlighted with green. And I'm pointing a, a red arrow to Jerusalem where they're all gathering. I mean, people are traveling weeks and weeks to get there for this, this celebration at, at great cost. Uh, all of them are Jewish. The Jewish people have been scattered all throughout these, these cities and areas, and they're, they're converging. And, and, and these places are mentioned by name in Acts chapter 2. So you can picture that temple area or those temple steps packed with people, just packed with people. And it's in this context we, we, um, we, we read this. So they, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've begun speaking in different tongues, speaking in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven, which we just saw on the map. When this sound occurred, the sound of people um, speaking in tongues... When the, sound, when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it 
that each of us can hear them in our own native language. And then it lists off those languages, like what we saw on the map, skipping down to verse 11. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astonished and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they are drunk on new wine. Now, I don't speak a lot about um, speaking in tongues, and the reason for that is baggage. Uh, I have severe baggage from my upbringing when it comes to speaking in tongues. The church that I was raised in um, thought only bad things about speaking in tongues and, and what, what that was about. Um, so I have some baggage connected to that, but I'm going to push past that for this moment. And I'm going to make a few comments about speaking, uh, speaking in tongues, and specifically the gift of speaking in tongues as described in the New Testament. Here in Acts chapter 2, what is speaking in tongues? What is it? It is, it is speaking in a language that you've never learned. Miraculously, uh, full of the Spirit of God, in, in the Spirit of God, speaking a language instantly that, that you don't know. And maybe when it's coming out of your mouth, you don't understand what you're saying, but, but it's in a, a, it's in a, a language. And, and in this case, what they are saying is being understood by people who know the, nat the language na natively. Now, I, I want to just remind you, like, was there a need for this? Did, did, was there a need for people to be able to speak in tongues on, on Pentecost? No, no. I mean, basically, all of the people who were gathered were Jewish. So they all would have been able to speak at least Greek or Aramaic, uh, the, the, the languages of, of the day and the la Jewish languages of the day, they would have been able to, to speak one of those two languages. It would have been fine, even though they're from all over the world, uh, the, the world, they would have been able to do that. There wasn't a need to speak in the people's native language. It wasn't about need, it was about capturing attention that God is doing something extraordinary, that there's an outpouring of God. In fact, every instance of speaking in tongues in the, in the New Testament, or in the Bible, which is it's only in the New Testament, the all the instances of that, none of them are based on need. None of them are based on need. That's not why the, the gift is there because of need. And there's two responses to this, or I guess maybe three. Some are astounded, perplexed, and sneering. Astounded, confused, or perplexed, and sneering. Some of them just were just gonna dis, full of disdain and, and thinking of them as drunk. I was raised around sneerers. I bet some of you listening might have been, uh, even the fact that I'm speaking about this, maybe you're, maybe you're sneering, or some of you are confused, perplexed, or, or some of you are astounded. What is Brian's? Uh, Brian, never mind. Anyway, so, so that's, um, that's kind of what it's about. This is still happening today. Speaking in tongues is still happening today. Uh, missionaries are out there speaking in tongues in languages that they don't know, which sounds just like gibberish to them, but which is totally understood by those who are listening, and people are responding by giving their lives to Jesus and, and, and being filled with, with God's Spirit. Um, uh, James Gall, he, he writes about a time where he is in Guatemala City, and he's at a conference there, and, and he, is, he, started, he just felt like God was saying while he was on stage to start speaking in tongues, and so he started speaking in tongues, and this guy with him, a guy named Harold uh, Caballeros, he stopped him, and he, and he said, do you know what you're saying? And James like, no, I'm, I'm speaking in tongues. And, and Harold says, you're speaking Korean? You're speaking two languages. You're speaking Korean, and you're speaking quiche. 
Uh, quiche, it, it's not what you, 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 you eat at Christmas time or whatever. Uh, quiche is, is, was a, is a local dialect language of, of a tribal people up in the hill country of Guatemala. And so he was speaking these, these two languages. So, okay, that's interesting. A couple days later, though, James is at a conference, and he feels like God's telling him to speak in tongues again, right in city center of Guatemala City, again, a couple days later. And all of a sudden, he, he starts speaking in tongues again, and a hundred people wearing the same uh, tribal cloth from the same tribe uh, that speaks the, the Kish language, they came running forward, and, and then and God meets them in a powerful way, and they get filled with the Spirit, and, and, and incredible stuff happens. Yeah, like, th this stuff is still happening today. Uh, people are still speaking in tongues today. Paul the Apostle, he, he, he says he speaks in tongues more than any of the Corinthians, and the Corinthians are really fascinated by it. But Paul specifically talks not necessarily about preaching in tongues. He talks about maybe it's, it's use or, or non-use non or how to use it in a worship gathering. But he mostly talks about praying about his prayer life and praying in, in tongues, praying in a, a language that, he, that maybe he doesn't understand himself, but that, that, uh, that the Spirit is helping him to pray in. That's probably the more common use that I'm familiar with today. Uh, you know, so he, he, doesn't, he doesn't preach so much in tongues, it seems like he, he prays in tongues. Now, why? Why, why does Paul pray in tongues? Why not just pray in language that, that he knows? In fact, why would we? Why, why would you? Why would I? Why would we pray in tongues like Paul prays in tongues? In a, in a language that we don't know, that maybe sounds like gibberish to us, but, but, it, but it's a different language. Here's, the re here's some reason. Because when you pray in tongues, you don't know what you're praying. You don't know what you're praying. And maybe to you, you're like, then why would I want to do that? I, I want to know what, what I'm praying. Like, why would I want to pray in tongues if I don't know what I'm praying? For a long time, that's, that was me. Like, I don't know why I would want to do that. But, then, but when you start praying in tongues, you have to surrender. You have to surrender what you're praying to the Holy Spirit. And you have to surrender with faith that it's not just gibberish, but that God understands the, the language coming out of your mouth, even if you don't. And because you don't know what you're praying, because you don't understand what's coming out of your mouth, your mind can't block the prayers. Your, your, your potential faithlessness won't reduce the prayer requests that, that you are praying. Your, your, your mind and your, your faithlessness doesn't get in the way of, of, of the prayers that are on your heart. I don't know if you're like this, but <clears throat> sometimes when I'm praying, it's like, okay, God, I, you know, and maybe, maybe you feel like God gives you a big, a big prayer request. I'm going to just make something up. Like I say, it's like that 10 million people would come to believe in Jesus in Scotland. Okay, so and you feel like God's calling you to, to pray this ama amazing revival prayer that 10 million people would come to faith in Scotland. But then you start thinking about it. there's only about 5.2 million people in Scotland, thereabouts. Okay, so how could, okay, I feel like God says 10, but I'm, I, it can't be more than 5.2. That would be everybody. But it's probably not going to be everybody. And so what, what, is, what is a reasonable revival prayer in Scotland? Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe 1 million. Oh, 1 million, that's, that's a lot. That's like almost 20% of the population. Okay, how about 100,000? And then you find yourself praying, God, I want to see 1,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Your mind and your faithlessness have downplayed prayers. Now, that's just a made-up example, but, but I bet I'm not alone on this. The Bible says about the Holy Spirit <clears throat> that no one knows 
what's on your heart as well as the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit knows what's on your heart. And also the Bible says that no one knows what's on the heart of the Father like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the perfect prayer. The perfect one, the perfect one to pray, to bring the things that are on your heart and on the heart of the Father together in prayer. He, he's the one that's, that is able to bring your, your heart's prayers more powerfully than you can because it, it takes your, your mind and maybe faithlessness out of the way. God knows what's on your heart. The Spirit knows what's on your heart. And so that's why it's powerful to pray in tongues because, because we, stop, we stop blocking big prayer requests. And the, the Spirit is able to bring the big prayers of our hearts uh, along with God's big heart for your situation. I pray in tongues all the time. I, I pray in tongues pretty much every day. I, I, I battle with it, though, because I don't necessarily love not knowing when I'm praying, so I, I like to ask God, God, could you just give me a little bit of insight and sometimes I get a, a little flash answer here or a flash answer there. Um, but I also understand that I, I believe tongues is the most powerful way to see breakthroughs. I believe tongues is the most powerful way to see breakthroughs because you have perfect, unhindered prayers. You have perfect, unhindered prayers by in my case, my faithlessness, or, or me trying to come up with reasonable prayers. There's none of those blocks. The Holy Spirit's praying in that different language as I surrender my prayers to Him, uh, allows, it to, allows Him to work around my faithlessness and, as, as I pray out loud for God and for the things of my heart. And again, that's all done in faith. That's all done in faith. I've noticed uh, personally having a few different languages uh, are they human languages? I assume so. I, I assume so. Actually, a few months ago, I was walking down Byers Road near the very beginning of, of the, uh, the lockdown era, and, and I was there with my, my family. The, the teens were out in front, and I was kind of in the back with Kelly, and I stopped, and, and I'd heard this guy in the doorway on the phone, and the, the words that he was saying and, and, and the language that he was speaking, I'm like, that is the language that I recognize from what comes out of my mouth when I'm, when I'm praying in tongues. And, and even some of the individual words, I'm like, I've said that word. I know, I've said that word. I don't know what that word is. I said, and I, and I stopped and I looked at Kelly and, I'm, and, and I was kind of really thrown at this moment. And, and all, uh, yeah, you're like, what language was it? I didn't ask. And I know, I'm kicking myself. I, I'm kicking myself for not, for not asking. But, but yeah, I, I definitely assume that these languages that are coming out of my mouth are, 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 are languages human languages. Why pray in tongues? I believe there's bigger breakthroughs, that bigger breakthroughs happen because perfect prayers are, are able to be prayed via the Holy Spirit without us getting in the way. And, and the Holy Spirit who knows what's on our heart and he knows what's on the Father's heart and brings those together. If you grew up in a background like mine and we didn't, you didn't talk about speaking in tongues, at least in positive ways, I get it, I understand. I, I have some baggage uh, with it and, and, and I know some of you do as well. It's weird. It's, it's weird. It's weird. You probably haven't heard me speak in tongues before, but from day one of the church, Acts chapter 2, some people sneered. Some people sneered. Some people still do. Some people are really confused by it. Some people still are. Some people are amazed by it. Some people still are. It's weird, but it's powerful. It's weird, but it's powerful. The, one, of the, one of the more enjoyable chapters I've read on this topic was from James Gold's book entitled Releasing Spiritual Gifts Today. Chapters 10 and 11 
connected to, uh, connected to the gift of speaking in tongues, releasing the gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, yeah, if, if you want to grow in, in this area, maybe you want to check that out. Um, I read it on a bus in Israel a few months ago, and so that's, that's a good story right there. <laughs> Anyways, it, some people would ask, is this gift for everyone? Um, it seems like you can ask for it and you can pursue it. The Bible's clear that it's not the most important gift, uh, but it's seekable. And if you want to ask God for that and run after it, then, then go for it. Maybe when you start, you're, you'll be pretty insecure and you, may, you might feel a little bit of doubts. Like, am I just making this up? The enemy likes to fill our hearts with doubts. Uh, but I encourage you to, to just lean in in faith. When I started off, I had just had two words. And I didn't know what they were. And I just kept saying them over and over again. Eventually, I asked God what they meant. And it was something like, you know, God, may your spirit like come and fall on me. Come fall on me. Come fall on me. And uh, I guess that's not a bad way to start praying, uh, even just with that simple prayer. Okay, I want to get back to talking about Pentecost. Uh, we, we, if you want to pursue this more, you can check out that book, or maybe you can tune in to the Southside Holy Spirit Night, which is at 7.30 tonight, and this topic is going to come up, and you can take another step there. The point of Pentecost is not speaking in tongues. That's just, that's just something that's there. It got people's attention. And when people had their attention focused on the disciples and, and what's going on here and, and hearing the amazing w- uh, works of God in their own native tongues, Peter stands up in verse 14. And he starts explaining that this weird thing that they are seeing is a God thing. The weird thing is a God thing. And, and this, is the, this moment that some of you think is drunkenness is actually God's spirit being poured out as promised. And then P- Peter is able to say this new message, this new message that didn't start with Easter, but started at Pentecost. And the message is, now that the Holy Spirit is being poured out, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And he says that this promise of the Holy Spirit is, and salvation is for anyone who would believe, for anyone who would ever believe in Jesus. Salvation would be for anyone ever, now that Pentecost has happened. And the people are, are like, wow, how? how? How can we respond to this? How can we respond to the message of salvation? And Peter says to them two things. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. On that day, that's what people did. They repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus. In fact, it said 3,000 people repented and were baptized. Baptized by full immersion in water in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're, if you're not from a background which practices full immersion in water, I am not trying to push your buttons. This is just historical fact. That's what happened on that day specifically. 3,000 people immersed in water. Let me show you uh, one of the tanks. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a mikvah, a mikvah, and it's, it's a baptism, uh, it's a baptism tank, and it's right at the bottom of the steps going up to the temple. There's a bunch of them, the mikvah, and, and it's where people would get back. There's lots of ritual baptisms connected with the temple, so there, you've got all these baptism things right there. The church breaks out. Peter says, repent and get baptized. You've got the baptism pools right Right there and people would just go for it and how they would do it a little bit differently maybe than John the Baptist or some of the other things and, and how we do it today they would just walk in by themselves they would walk down one side there's kind of a, a bar in the middle they'd walk down one side and then they would go underwater 
and then they would walk up the other side, and they would, they would go down, they would baptize in the name of Jesus. You just have to, they could just walk through and, and down, and, and the next person would be walking down, and they would just be baptized in the name of Jesus. Very easy to baptize 3,000 people, just as the Bible said. You've got the, the baptism pools are right there, ready to go. Okay, if you've not given your life to Jesus, the invitation is for you today, and, and it's for everyone Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus to be, to be your, your, your king and your master. You repent, which means you turn from the way that you were living towards living the way that Jesus wants you to live. You repent, and then you get baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, if you, if you want to get baptized... Um, I understand that we are not able to do that right here at this particular moment, but we want to do it as soon as possible. If you want to get baptized, email me, brian at rehope.co.uk, and we'll set it up as fast as possible. Maybe the government will let us do this in a lake one time soon, or, or a lock in Scotland while we're here, or uh, this baptism pool here, or whatever. We'll, we'll figure it out, and we'll try and do it as soon as possible. Email me, brian at rehope.co.uk. Okay, so that was Pentecost Sunday. And, uh, and that was just the beginning. After this day, we see what I'm calling activated believers. Activated believers that flow out of Pentecost, that have become the church of God, that become the temple. The people who are now the temple. What are activated believers and what do they look like? Well, we see in Acts chapter 2 at the end here, it says this is, this is uh, descriptions of activated believers. They devoted themselves devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to the teaching, fellowship, to maybe communion there, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the pro proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they had devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want to talk about uh, activated believers in this COVID-19 era. In fact, if you're listening to this in the future, it is the 31st of May. Uh, we are in, I guess now, phase one of, of, of Scotland's uh, process when it comes to uh, returning to some sort of future, I don't even, well, you'll, you probably know better than me. If you have no idea what COVID-19 is, you can look in the history books. Anyways, so we're in this, this moment now. And, and we have some severe limitations on what we can and can't do right now to be the church. Uh, so, but at the heart of it is these people were devoted to some core things. Activated believers, they're devoted to the teaching. They're devoted to communion, the breaking of the bread. They're devoted to prayer. They're, they're devoted to, to fellowship, to, to connecting with one another. In their case, they, they could meet in the temple together. They could meet in house to house together. Now, obviously, some of that isn't COVID-friendly, but a lot of the heart, I a heart is. It, it doesn't say they can meet over the internet. We've got that, right? We've got that. Some things are COVID-friendly, though, here. And, and I believe that this can be an incredible moment for you spiritually. I believe this can be an incredible moment for you spiritually. 
Maybe it's just a moment where you just are, you, you have to rethink about what it is to be a part of church, to be the church. And, and you know, you're used to, I mean, you, you know, you've known for a long time that, yeah, I am the church and, and it, the church is in the building. But, but now that the building's been kind of taken away from your experience for a season, it can be a little bit unnerving and, and throw, throw you off a little bit. And, and it, it starts to make you, okay, okay, yeah, so what is it to be the church? I can't go on Sunday. I can't gather in that building. I, I, can't, I can't be around all these people. We can't worship all in the same place. What is it to be the church? Well, let me, let, me, let me tell you some of the things that it, it could be in this era. Soon, not yet, but soon, we're going to be able to meet in some homes. A small group of people are going to be able to meet in some, some homes. Now, something that you might want to think about, Sunday mornings. It, it, we can't meet all together in one place, but maybe you can have a few people over to your place where you can watch church together and you can gather together and you can encourage each other. Uh, instead of just being in full isolation, you can, you can be together in some homes. You can worship God together and, and you can be like, what? Uh, we can worship together out loud? Yeah, in the same place. And then maybe you could have a meal together or you could have communion together and, and just kind of celebrate together as, just like the early church did. Once, once the government gives us permission to do that, I, I maybe be thinking about who you might be having over on Sunday mornings to, to worship with. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty ex an exciting opportunity coming up for us, a very unique opportunity. Right now, though, you, there are several things you can do, and I encourage you to contact your church friends. To contact your church friends, people who come to mind, and encourage them to keep going, to keep leaning in. You don't even know who's, who's streaming on Sundays anymore. You're assuming maybe everybody is. But here's the church stats that are just out from Barna Research. Barna put out the church stats. And, and basically, you know, is it true in Scotland? I don't know if it's going to be this strong in Scotland. Primarily because so many um, people who are part of the church attending demographic are much older and maybe not as internet savvy. But in, in, in America and in, uh, well, the United States and Canada... These are the church statistics for church goers, people who go to church, regular church goers, uh, over the last four weeks. Once you're past that first wave of, yay, there's something new and exciting and I can watch church in my home. Well, now it's not quite as new and exciting as some of you are thinking. And only 40% are, are watching their own church services online of church, church gathers. Less than half, only 40%. And, and then you, the, more, the more shocking thing is that bottom one, 48%, nearly half are, have not at all in the last four weeks done anything connected to church, not streamed anything, not watched anything, no worship service in, in the last four weeks. The, the, the initial joy or, or curiosity is worn off, and it's like they just can't be bothered. It's like people are in holiday mode now from church. You know, I, I, don't, I can't even be bothered to turn on church this morning. I, I can't even be bothered to do this. Guys, people are falling asleep spiritually right now. People are, are falling asleep spiritually around the world. This is not the time to fall asleep. This is the time where we have an opportunity for reawakening in our land, or a revival in our land, uh, for, for you to feel revived in your spirit and for you to have an impact in an unusual and opportune way right now. But I believe the enemy wants to put the church to sleep, and, but the call is for us to rise up and to be activated, to be the church, to be 
see God's, God's people, to go for it and be alert, to not fall asleep, to not be like these statistics. There's a lot of people in our church that are they're just kind of like these statistics. And I encourage you to encourage people, encourage people to stay with it, to be devoted to teaching, be devoted to, to, uh, to gathering together, to worshiping together. In fact, I want you to truth type in the, in, the, in the chat there. Truth type, I will not fall asleep spiritually. I will not fall asleep spiritually. If you don't know how to f- spell asleep, like I don't know how to spell asleep, it's got two E's in it. I, 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 I'm always never sure. I'm never always sure. I'm always, I'm confused when it comes to how to spell words. So I will not fall asleep, E-E-P, uh, spiritually. Uh, I'm going to be alert. I'm going to go for it and just make, lean in, lean in that declaration. So keep encouraging your friends. Maybe you've noticed your Bible read-through group, people aren't quite as showing up. Maybe you find yourself maybe bumping it back a week or two, or maybe only a few people showing up. People are falling asleep. Help them. Help them, encourage them. Encourage yourself to not give in to the apathy and to lean in and, and, and to go for it. I want to encourage you to push forward in worship. Maybe you're feeling like it's, it's awkward. You're, you're sitting there in, in your place and you're looking around and, and you know, people are, you know, yeah, whatever is going on in your place. I encourage you to not worry about what's going on in the room. Don't worry about what your dad thinks. Don't worry about what your mom thinks. Don't worry about what your kid thinks. Don't worry about what your flatmate thinks. Don't worry about what the neighbors think when you're, when you're doing the stomping on the floor, right? No, uh, but just, just go for it in worship and, and praise God. We can't gather, but we can have worship all over the city and, and all over the nation, nations. And I just say, go for it, go for it, go for it. We may be locked down in some ways, but we are, we are still able to worship God. And we have that freedom, so go for it. Uh, and just lean in. Don't back off at this time. Um, other ways to be devoted, 24-7 prayer. You, you can sign up for that. Uh, I just started up a new one starting tomorrow morning. I went on there this morning and I picked two different one-hour spots and I just put them at the same time every week through the month of June. I'm going to see how these spots are. They're different spots than previously. And I just encourage you to take a spot or two or so and then, and then like just track them through for the next couple weeks and see how it goes. Be devoted to prayer, generosity in the early church. Respond to the nudges of God. God brings people in your heart to bring them some food or to bring them some, some give them some money. Um, do it. Respond to the nudges of God and be bold at that. Be bold at that. Uh, this is the season for God nudges where you are to be the church. You are the church that is. And so go for it. Be activated. Go for it. Um, I responded to a, a weird God nudge. I was running. And I had what I believe was a, a God nudge to build a prayer cairn out in the Kelvin River. And so my wife and I, we, Kelly, we, we went out to, to an island on the Kelvin River. And we started building this prayer cairn, this pile of rocks. And we, we, we built it up uh, for a while. And it was exercise. I'm telling you, it was exercise. And we took, took anointing oil. We poured oil over it. We prayed over it. And we asked God to, to, uh, for death, deaths in Glasgow uh, connected to COVID to be disproportionate down and for reawakening and revival to, to rise up. And so we prayed that over that place and then as we would go back in, in times when the river levels would allow it, we would add more rocks and then sometimes they would be less rocks and then more rocks and then people would be adding to it. But we started this, this prayer, Karen, that was a nudge. That was just acting on a nudge. And then I felt like God nudged me to put up a sign. 
And so we put up a sign uh, just the other week, and, and we let people know that we would pray for them, and we put our names on it. We put our names on it, and we had some discussions. Okay, could we get fined for this? I don't know. Is this okay? I, I don't know. I'm, I am a foreigner in a foreign land. I don't know what's going on here. Anyways, I just, but I was like, we're going to put this, we're just going to put our names on there, and if we get busted, we get busted, and but just let people know we'll pray for them. We'll pray for them about anything. And so we, we put up a sign. That was a God nudge thing. What are the nudges that God's putting on your heart? Generosity focus, prayer focus, um, you know, praying for people on the street. I, I don't know, like, what is God putting on your heart? It's time to be the church. It's potentially a very powerful moment for you. When, when your church experience is shaken up, when it's, when it's kind of pulled away from how we would prefer it to be, and, and now we get to think about, okay, what is it to be the church that we've always been called to be? But maybe we've just kind of been coasting along because this is it's pretty great to be here. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit filled you, filled everybody who had given their life to Jesus. You are now the temple of God. You are the church of God. The call is to be active today. Thinking about what God is putting on your heart and going for it, doing it. Being generous, following the leading of God. We can't gather, gather together right now. But that can't stop the church of Jesus. Just because we can't gather doesn't mean we have to stop. The only way the church can stop is if you stop. The only way the church can stop is if you stop. But don't. Instead, lean in. Lean in. Go for it. Go for it and worship in your own homes. Follow the nudges of God and let's see God reawaken this city. Two challenges for you today on this Pentecost celebration day. Number one. Act on the nudges. Act on the nudges, number one. Number two, have a celebration moment. Have a celebration moment today, tonight. It's not too late. Uh, find something. Maybe, maybe a birthday candle. It's the birth of the church. Uh, maybe have some cake or, or, or a special beverage or, or, or a special strawberry something I saw in the chat this morning. It's, nothing says celebration like strawberries. So uh, something like that. And, and uh, do something to mark this celebration day. 